Welcome to our neighbors and good morning, church. Huh? Okay, all right, there we go. It's all right, it's okay. We don't, it's okay, we can move on. It's okay, all right, okay, it's okay. I just, I want to make sure that we're all in here together. We're, we're doing this together, all right? Uh, glad, glad to be with you. Um, we've been in the series uh, that you can probably tell based upon the uh, words that we've put on the screen here. We've been in a series that's called Values, and it's not enough to know what your mission is. It's not enough to know what it is that you'd like to accomplish, um, because there are oftentimes more than one way to, uh, if I say skin a cat, is, is Peter going to come after me? There's more than one way to accomplish a mission. And how we accomplish our mission actually says more about us than what our mission is. So if our, if our mission as a business is to make money, to have more money than last year, then um, how we go about making more money says a lot more about us than what our goal is. And if our mission as a church is to invite our neighbors to meet and follow Jesus, um, how we go about accomplishing that mission says more about us than, um, than what our mission actually is. Max, I think the battery has finally died on this. We're in this together, bro. Can you give me my next slide? I, so, yeah. So, we're in this series trying to take apart what are the things that are our values. If this is our mission, if we're getting together because our goal in, in being together as a congregation is to invite our neighbors to meet and follow Jesus, our values then describe how we go about accomplishing that mission. And our first value that we talked about two weeks ago, that's going to be on the slide here, uh, is that we put Jesus first. We center everything on Jesus' love and grace because he alone has set us free. Um, that's you, Max. You're going you're gonna, to you're gonna be on this with me. We're doing this. Yeah. So our first value is we put Jesus first. Um, and that's uh, kind of basic. And, and it's, it's been brought to my attention uh, just through conversations. And I love feedback like this. So if you've got questions, like I really like to hear it. But there, there was some question like, okay, if we put Jesus first, like what do we do with the rest of the Trinity? Are you saying that you don't believe in the Trinity or that the Trinity isn't operative in, in, in our faith in general? Um, this is rechargeable, so we're really up a creek. Like, it's got to be on the charger, so. I appreciate you, Barry. Good looking out. Um, and no, we're not, we're not saying that the Trinity isn't important, but when we're connecting with who? Our neighbors. We have to start somewhere, and we're going to start with Jesus first. We center everything on his love and grace because he alone has set us free. He's our starting point. And we could go from the early chapters of Colossians where it says that Christ is, Jesus is the firstborn of all creation, not that he is a created being, but that he has the first place in all of creation, that all things were made by him, through him, and for him. Um, and so uh, like we could get into some deep theological discussions that uh, you might be entertained by, but are not, I think, particularly helpful for what we're doing this morning. So our first value is we put Jesus first. Our second value uh, is that we trust the Bible. So, uh, Max, we trust the Bible. 
um, we depend on Scripture as our primary guide for life because God leads us most directly through His Word. So that's where we begin to see how the Trinity works together. The Father speaks the Word, Jesus speaks the Word, and the, the Spirit brings it to remembrance. The voice of the Holy Spirit often sounds like the Word of God. If we don't know what the Word of God says, then we're more likely to be susceptible to other whispering voices in our ears that might lead us away from what Jesus would have us be. So we look at the Scripture as our primary guide for life because that's where God seems to be most direct in giving us um, most direct in giving us directions. You'll forgive me for using the same word in the definition. Um, so those are two pretty basic um, principles. Uh, Jesus first, and we trust the Bible. Um, I suspect that there are not many churches who would fight us on that um, outside of the Trinity discussion. Um, but as we go forward, so those two values are kind of are, are key to other, uh, are, are shared amongst a lot of different congregations. You're not surprised to come to a church on Sunday morning that says, we really like Jesus and we really like the Bible. Like that's, that's probably pretty par for the course. Um, but the rest of the values as we go forward are actually going to be more of our, our, the flavor of what we mean when we say we're neighborhood church. They're going to be a little bit more specific. They are no less biblical, I would say. They're no less derived from the Bible. If we trust the Bible, then we're drawing these things from the Bible. Um, but they're, they're, they might be a little bit more challenging to you. So um, what's our next slide? Is it the prayer? Are we praying together next? Yeah, cool. So we're going to pray together now. <laughs> I just invite you to pray together with me. Um, we, it is our habit to pray together the disciples' prayer. This is the model of prayer that Jesus left for us. Um, it's not a magic spell. And uh, these added, like you can pray the disciples' prayer without using these words. Um, but if we're going to pray it together, it's helpful for us to use the words. So we're going to put those up on the screen. Um, so that you can pray together with me, and you can pray uh, in your in your. You can pray out loud if you would like to, but at the very least, I just ask you to bow your hearts and pray together with me as we begin. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, and your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. As we've been going through this series, uh, I've been using the um, John chapter 15 as kind of a, a jumping off point. So I, I'd invite you to turn there to John chapter 15. If you want to use these Bibles that are in front of you, it's on page 1126. I've been using this as a jumping off point, a springboard into other passages of Scripture because I think it's really significant. We've, I've said it a couple of times, but just once more as a review. As John writes this biography of Jesus, one of Jesus' closest friends takes, takes point to write down a biography of what Jesus' life was like. He takes 12 chapters to talk through about three years' worth of ministry, and then he takes the next uh, huge chunk of chapters to talk about three days. So three years is the first half of the book, and three days is the second half of the book. And so about starting in chapter 13, Jesus goes to an upper room, a separate room that he's set apart, and he's, he's like, I got one more night with my disciples. What are the most important lessons that I need to teach them? 
And he opens that discourse by washing their feet. He says, look, I'm among you as one who serves. You also ought to serve one another. And then he goes on and, and, and goes through some pretty elaborate teachings. And we've looked at... Um, you know, putting Jesus first, abiding in him, which is why we have been singing that song together, Abide. Um, we put Jesus first, and, and that the word, that we're cleansed by the word, that we're set apart and sanctified by God's word. So those are the first two principles that we have seen. But I'd like to pick up in John 15 and verse 8. Um, he says, By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. So what is the fruit of a disciple of Jesus? We've got a picture of an orange tree. And what is the fruit of an orange tree? Oranges. Accurate, but incomplete. Um, the fruit of an orange tree would actually be more orange trees. <laughs> so the fruit is actually just a vessel for seeds. And if all goes well, and, and this is disregarding a bunch of modern agriculture, but if all goes well, then an orange tree bearing fruit bears its fruit in season, the seed grows out of the fruit, and you get more orange trees. That's actually what is going on. So what is the fruit of a disciple of Jesus who's been sanctified and is walking in the truth of God's word? What is the fruit of a disciple of Jesus according to these verses that we've read together? More disciples. Okay, more disciples, yes. Um, how? <laughs> abide in his love. How do we abide in Jesus' love? We keep his commandment. And what is his commandment? Wait a second. <laughs> I thought keeping God's commandments was about not smoking or, or, or uh, drinking alcohol. I thought keeping God's commandments was about like not saying curse words at work. What, what, is, what is happening here? The fruit of a disciple of Jesus is an intimate love with Jesus that's expressed in our love for one another. Je, uh, Jesus will say earlier in this discourse, in chapter 13, uh, in verses 34 and, and 35, the world knows, the way anybody who's not connected with Jesus will know that we are truly connected with Jesus is by our love for one another. So when we put Jesus first, and when we trust the Bible, the expression of that is love for one another. But I, like, 
I want to just like do me. Like I'm going to do me, you do you, I'll do me, right? Like I don't need to be in your business, you don't need to be in my business. I'm just going to read the word, I'm just going to do and focus on me. I've got some work that I need to do and obviously you've got some work that you need to do so you go take care of that business. Like we don't need to be in each other's, we don't need to be all up in each other's lives. And yet the fruit of somebody who's genuinely following Jesus, who's genuinely putting Jesus first, and who is, is, is genuinely trusting the Bible, is love for one another. You cannot love somebody that you're not willing to talk to. You can't love somebody that um, you don't even want to be in the same room with. So here's, here's, here's a question to open with. Do our thoughts towards others reflect our love for God? Do our thoughts towards others reflect our love for God? Uh, John elsewhere in a different letter will say, if we say that we love God and we hate our brother, we're lying. <clears throat> and, I, and I point to our thoughts because our thoughts are kind of the first realm of control that we have over our circumstances. So we don't have a ton of, we have less control over our circumstances than we like to think. But our thoughts are a place that we can begin to interact with and we can begin to affect our responses. So how do our thoughts reflect the love of God? Do our thoughts towards other people betray the fact that we love God? If we love God and we see other people as created in his image, then will we say snide and degrading remarks under our breath or, or even just to ourselves? And boy, if you're on the internet, this is like super hard. I don't know what it is about the internet that just makes me super cynical about everybody and assume the worst. And yet, um, I, had a, I talked with, uh, with Max about it this morning, and I had a teacher who, who would say about his students, he said, students are like tea bags. You don't know what's in them until you put them in hot water. So I wonder if the internet is the hot water that reveals what's actually in our hearts. Do our thoughts towards others reflect our love for God? So here's, our, here's the value that we're going to put on the screen um, that starts to try to wrap our heads around and distill this. Max, will you give that to us? We journey together. Spiritual growth happens best in community. And God brings us into his family so that no one has to face anything alone. We journey together. Our faith is not a Lone Ranger sport. Our walk with Jesus is not a one-on-one. -on -one. It's a group sport. It's a team sport. Um, And we're Americans. Like we, we're we are wired to want to be individualistic. Our culture teaches us that really all you need is yourself and that self-sufficiency is like the model and the pinnacle of humanity. And yet, if we are putting Jesus first and we are trusting the Bible, we will not be able to read the Bible seriously and not escape the fact that we need one another. And that the way that we treat one another is a reflection of our heart toward God. There are more than a hundred times, or there are about a hundred times in the New Testament alone, 
where the, the phrase one another shows up. So even if you're just reading the New Testament, the last little section of Scripture, and even if you just base your faith on just the New Testament, which I, I don't think we need to do, but some people choose to, if you just take that, then more than 100 times you're going to be face-to-face -face with a command about something you're supposed to do with other people, and it's not look down on them and consider yourself better than them and make sure that you get your way and make sure that they don't get their way and don't listen to them when they're speaking. Like It's not those kind of things. It's love one another, prefer one another, greet one another, talk to one another, we journey together. We can't be seriously reading the New Testament and conclude that spiritual growth can happen in isolation from the rest of the body of Christ. So there's a couple ways that I want to approach this. Um, the first is, at some point, it's been a couple of months, it might even be up to a year ago now, I have the thought, like, how does Jesus talk about his disciples? If I want to put Jesus first, if I want to call myself a disciple of Jesus, how does Jesus talk about his disciples? And Jesus actually only uses the phrase, my disciples, four times. One of those times we've actually read together here in, in John 15. He says, by this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Bearing much fruit demonstrates that you are my disciples. Um, I don't recall where the fourth one is, but the, the two others that appear together are in Luke chapter 14. So I'd invite you to turn with me because I would like you to, to see this. In Luke chapter 14, on page 1091. In verses 26 and 27, Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14, beginning in verse 25. Now great crowds accompanied him. And he, Jesus, turned and said to them, these great crowds, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to encounter another king in war, will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Here are the other three. I, I, so that's, that's where they are. <clears throat> What does Jesus say about his disciples here? <laughs> I thought Jesus like, was all about love, man. And yet, at the height of his popularity, when great crowds, why do I want to say clouds? Great crowds are following him. He turns to them and says, look, if you want to follow me, you've got to hate everybody else in your life. You've got to hate your mom and your dad and your sister and your brother and your cousins and your nephews and your nieces. You've got to hate everybody that you're naturally bound to if you're going to follow me. 
Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. And we hear that and go, oh, Jesus is getting ready to be crucified. But the people that are hearing this, like, that was not, the cross was not yet associated with Jesus. He hadn't yet done that. And so when they hear cross, what they're thinking of is like common execution. Petty criminals. Enemies of Rome. Whoever doesn't bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. So Jesus is arguing from the negative here, which makes me uncomfortable. I'd like for people to be positive. I like positive people in my life. And yet Jesus here is negative. He says, if you don't do this, you cannot be my disciple. So what, what is it that he's saying? Putting Jesus first reorders our natural attachments. Putting Jesus first reorders our natural attachments. We're born into a family. We're born into a culture. And we live life. like We, we don't live life in a vacuum. There are people that are a part of our lives. Um, and at the moment that we decide, I'm going to put Jesus first. I don't quite understand how all this salvation stuff works. I'm not sure I really get all the big theological terms like salvation and sanctification and redemption. Like I'm not sure I understand, but Jesus says that he has made a way, and I want to trust him, and I want to put him first. I'm, I'm willing to make that, take that step and begin that journey. I want to put Jesus first. When we do that, we begin to reorder our natural attachments. Jesus takes us out of our natural family and he puts us into his family. God brings us into his family so that no one has to face anything alone. I think it's really interesting. He says, this comes at a cost. Which is not what I would think about if I'm thinking about, okay, like, I leave one family and I get to go to a new family. Like, that, that actually sounds like you know, a pretty even exchange, right? But Jesus says here, don't neglect to count the cost. He says, if, if you're going to build a tower, you figure out if you have enough money to finish it because if you lay the foundation and you don't have enough money, then you're going to have a really nice flat piece of ground. And everybody's going to say, hey, great platform. I thought you were going to do a tower. Or if you were like a, a general and you had an invading army, like would you not do the math? I'm like, all right, I've got these, this number of people and they've got that number of people and this is the strategy we're going to use. Can we kill more of them than they can kill of us? And if you can't, then you're like, hey, let's, let's be bros. I'll send a peace delegation. Like, let's, talk, let's talk this out. There's a cost factor in finishing well. Putting Jesus first reorders our natural attachments. And by choosing these new attachments, these spiritual attachments that Jesus is giving us, he's empowering us to be able to finish well. That's what these two parables are, are pointing to. You can start by yourself. You can say, I'm going to put Jesus first by yourself. But that's the last individual decision you're going to make if you're going to finish well. If you want to build the tower of faith, then you've got to get, on the, get with the crew who's going to help you finish it. And you've got to get with the one who's going to supply all the finances that you need to build that tower of faith. He is the well that never runs dry. He's the vine and we're the branches. 
So following Jesus is kind of like a wedding proposal. I don't know if you've necessarily thought about this. This is something that has come to my attention as I was looking and trying to figure out how do I talk about this. Following Jesus is like a wedding proposal. So Jesus shows up and says, hey, I want to reconcile you to God. I want to build a relationship between you and God, um, a, a covenant relationship where y'all are connected together, where you, have, uh, where you are helping, or he is helping you to grow, and, and life is going, like, like, not perfectly, but life is going in the right direction. I want, to, I want to make this connection. I want to build this relationship. I'm proposing a marriage. And Jesus is not exclusive. He offers that to everybody, like regardless of your status, regardless of your background, regardless of um, any, anything that you might say is a stumbling block or a hindrance from you coming to God. Jesus says, no, 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 I'll cover the cost. I, will, I, will, I propose that we can make this arrangement, that we can bring you and God back together the way things were meant to be. There's a proposal there, and he offers it to everybody. He's down on one knee. If I were a Southern Baptist preacher, I'd say, he's standing at the door knocking. And the question becomes, what do we do with that? If we choose to put Jesus first, if we choose to trust him for that relationship, then there is a wedding. The wedding doesn't actually like, do anything. The wedding is just a ceremony, right? And actually, like, one of my, my core beliefs is that a wedding is the worst way to start a marriage because you get, you get these two families that have never worked together on anything and are still already really distrustful, and you're like, hey, you guys are going to plan a party together. It's going to be great. Like, you don't really know how to communicate, and you don't really know if you like, have the same values, but you're going to do this, and, and you're going to feed a lot of people, and there's going to be a lot of pressure. It's going to be good. So I don't think that a marriage is or a wedding is necessarily the best like, foundation for a marriage, and yet that's what we do. Um, that's, that's a joke. It's not really funny, but I'm sorry. <clears throat> the, or the wedding, for people who follow Jesus, is the baptism. There's, there's an exchange. There's a sign of, like, this is what, like, Jesus has proposed. He's doing it in me, and this is a sign that I'm on board with him. I'm declaring to everybody publicly my old natural relations and the new relations that I'm going to be melded into. Like, we're declaring that this is all together. That's the sign. That's what a baptism is, and I just mentioned that because we're doing one on Saturday. And if you haven't yet made a public declaration that you are putting Jesus first, then I'd invite you to do that. Not because it saves you, but because it's a public sign of the work and the relationship that Jesus is building between you and God. And then the marriage, so we've got the proposal and the wedding and the marriage. The marriage is actually when all the families like, figure out how to work together. You figure out how, who's going to be where for what holidays. You figure out how to communicate. And some families do this more successfully than others. But there's a reordering of the natural attachments. And when we follow Jesus, we have natural attachments, and we get brought into this new family. And we've got to figure out, what is the relationship here? But how odd would it be, and this is, uh, mom's probably watching, so this isn't like a shot, but I'm, I'm asking hypothetically if this were true. If I married Jesse, like, I, I left my parents' house and I married Jesse, and yet I still went to my mom with all of my problems. You would say, "There's, I thought you, I thought you got married. I thought you had 
a wife now. Like, like she's the one you should be talking your finances through. She's the one that you should be problem solving with. She's the one you should be bringing your laundry issues to. Like, not your mom. And there's times where we say, I put Jesus first, and yet we continue to go back into our old structures. We continue to go back to our natural attachments, and we're like, why aren't these things giving me good directions? Because you made a break, and things are reordered now. How are we responding to Jesus' proposal? So he has a proposal. And if you haven't taken that first step of trusting Jesus, like that's the first step. And it's important. <laughs> but it's the start of a journey. The sign then <laughs> that you've accepted that is, is baptism. Like if you haven't been baptized yet, and you're like, yeah, I'm kind of dating Jesus. Like he's kind of he's kind of my boyfriend. Like I'm just like get married. Tell everybody that this is who you're living for and move in together, right? Have the ceremony. Get baptized. And the marriage life is working out the community. <laughs> working out how do I walk through this? How do I take on his name? How do we set up a different house? What does it look like to be a part of his household? How are we responding to Jesus' proposal? Well, we journey together. Spiritual growth happens best in community. God brings us into his family so no one has to face anything alone. This reorders how we think about church, I think. So I'm going to take you now to one more passage that we're going to close with today that I hope we'll be able to see that the modern, like typical, the way your neighbors think about church. We'll say that. The way that the people that you meet on the street, the way they think about church is reordered when we put Jesus first, when we trust the Bible, and when we journey together. Would you look with me in, in Ephesians chapter 4? Ephesians chapter 4, and I'm going to be on page 1219 in, in the Blue Bibles. <clears throat> Ephesians 4, uh, it opens with Paul trying to explain um, trying to explain what Christianity is, trying to explain what the faith is. And so he opens, um, <laughs> he opens chapter 4 like encouraging people to walk in this new life, to walk as though you, you have accepted a marriage proposal, you've been through the wedding, and now you're married. Walk in this new life with all humility and gentleness and patience and bearing with one another, one another, in love. There's one body and one spirit, just as you were called, to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So he, he's trying to explain what does is, what is the Christian faith look like. And the verses I want for us to look at closely together are, begin in, in verse 11. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. And he, God gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attained the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness, and deceitful schemes. Rather, 
Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working together, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Max, will you give us a picture of some muscles? The picture of the church, the picture of the Christian faith is a body. So Jesus, God, gives apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers, God gives these leaders not so that they can be the professional class of Christians that get everything done, but he gives them, in verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body. The model of church that Jesus has in mind is that the leaders of the church equip the people of the church to do the ministry of the church. Different experiences and different backgrounds are going to interact with that differently. But the, the model that I see here, like the, the, if I could describe it in just a couple of words, in words that I think your neighbors would understand, the model of church here is decentralized. It's not about the leaders being built up and being made a big deal of. It's about the leaders serving and equipping the body for the body to do the work of ministry. God uses plain, normal, ordinary hands to do the work of the spiritual ministry of the church. Oftentimes, the people that God is going to use most directly are the people who don't have the degrees in Bible. Which isn't to say that God is not going to call people to lead and use people who lead, but he's going to use them to equip the body until we all grow up in maturity into Jesus. Like, if we're putting Jesus first, Jesus is our goal. He's our starting point, and he's our ending point. We start with him, he's first, we put him first in everything that we do, and he's also the one that we're trying to emulate and the one we're trying to be like. The church builds builds itself up by the saints in unity, in knowledge of the truth, and in love. We have the same mission. We have the same guidebook. And we're operating in love. I'll just say, as a side note, it's not in my notes, um, you'll often hear 1 Corinthians chapter 13 quoted in marriage ceremonies. Um, love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it keeps no records of wrongs. You, are you familiar with that to some degree? <clears throat> it wasn't written to a couple getting ready to be married. It was written to a church in conflict. And that beautiful picture of selfless love is the love with which we're supposed to show to one another as members of the body of Christ. Remember, count the cost. <laughs> There's a reason why Jesus encourages us to be in the habit of praying for, to teach us how to forgive one another and to forgive as he forgives us.
and notice that growth does not equate to numerical growth. There's not more people being engaged. But growth of the body is, is grown in spiritual maturity. But those who are spiritually mature, those who have a great walk with Jesus, those who have put Jesus first and who are trusting the Bible, those who are journeying together with other people, will acknowledge to those that are lost, I've got, I've got a, a way that's helpful, that's full of life, abundant life. I'd like to invite you to meet Jesus. I'd really like to invite you to follow him. So who will we choose to journey with? We have natural attachments. We have natural communities. Like, we have families. And I'm not saying, like, cut everybody out of your life that doesn't know Jesus. Like, that's not what I'm saying. But who are we going to for counsel and support? Who are we journeying with? If There are other Christians and churches, and I don't really like it. Like, they're not wrong, but they would say, do life together? Like, that just sounds weird to me. Who do you do life with? I don't like the phrase. So I say journey together. Who are you journeying together with? Who are you walking side by side? Who knows your business and is willing to point out to you when you're going off the mark? Because we go off the mark. Y'all don't know I need Ryan in my life. Because Ryan sees through my bullcrap better than anybody else in my life. He says, Michael, you're saying all the right things, but I know your heart's in the wrong place and you need, to, you need to step back. Okay. And if I don't have that, then me personally, my faith, my tower is incomplete. I can't finish it. And us, as a community, are weaker for that. We're bound together in the spirit. It's a, it's a decentralized thing, right? So who will we choose to journey together with. As I'm writing sermons on a weekly basis, I made a shift probably two years ago. Instead of trying to write out specific applications and be like, okay, I know what's going on in Donovan's life, so let me think about what Donovan needs to do with this text. Or I know what's going on with Wendy's life. Like, let me think about what Wendy needs to do. And then I'll just tell you. I'll give you the answers. Right? That's how I started preaching. I shifted instead to asking questions. In fact, Max, will you give us that slide? The last slide. Open-ended questions for discussion. So if you listen back for two years, my sermons have all had open-ended conversation questions. And I, we give you space to reflect on those while we're here together in, in, in a worship gathering. But there's a degree of community that cannot occur in what we do on a Sunday morning or any other time that we gather to worship. We cannot be building up the body of Christ in an hour on Sunday. But I give these to you as a tool for you to take back and sit around the table with other people and be like, man, like, I, thought I, was, I thought I was following Jesus. I thought I was responding to his proposal well, but he's right. I, didn't, I haven't been baptized yet. Or like, yeah, I haven't really, I haven't really um, reordered my natural connections. Like I still am wrestling with that. Because I can't, I don't have all the answers. 
I can't fix your problems. But I trust that as people gather around the table, maybe share a meal, and have honest conversations about where they're at, that the Spirit of God speaks through the people of God. Oftentimes, he sounds like the Bible. And that that's how the church grows. So your neighbors are going to look at you when you invite them to church and say, yeah, okay, church is a religious ceremony that happens on Sunday morning. And when we say that we journey together, we're saying that's a component of it. There is, there is value in gathering together on Sunday morning and celebrating and helping our focus to be on Jesus. It is helpful for us to be in that habit. And yet, it's incomplete. You can't all be connected with me. I, I don't, you don't want to be. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not that great. <laughs> but y'all can be connected with one another, and you can grow deep friendships, and the Spirit of God can lead you, and that's what I want to advocate for. I see the Gagnons pulling together some circles of friends that they have known for a long time, but now they're gathering around the table to have purposeful conversations. Hey, let's grow together in Christ. Not just be good friends. So we journey together. Spiritual growth happens best in community. God brings us into his family so no one has to face anything alone. I have a ton of thoughts on this, and I feel we're just kind of closing it. Um, but I've, I've said all that I said. I wrote on my paper, so if I go much beyond this, then we'll, we'll be here for the rest of the day. But I just encourage you, if that's something that your heart longs for, like let's start a conversation and let's figure out how to do this. Let's pray. God, um, some of our deepest wounds and some of our deepest hurts are at the hands of people that called themselves your followers. There are few scars that I bear that are more harsh than those that came from church people. And God, I acknowledge that it can be frightening to think about wanting to be in spiritual fellowship with other people. So Lord, we acknowledge that if we're going to journey together, like you have to be first in it, and you have to empower it, and you have to be the one that is teaching us to forgive, and you are the one that's giving us ears to listen well and patient hearts to not only speak the truth, but to speak the truth in love. God, to be controlled by your love, to bear fruit that's consistent with your love. Lord Jesus, we can't do it. Would you lead us and help us to know clearly what our next step is? Would you give us the faith to pursue it, to open our mouths and ask for the help that we need? It's in your name that I pray. Amen. So we'll take a few minutes and just reflect on how God's speaking. Um, maybe you need to make a list of people that you want to get around the table. Maybe you need to send some text messages and invite some people. I don't know. Um, but we'll give some space and some quiet to reflect on how God's moving this morning before we close together and sing in.